Pete, I was curious because uh, um, I was curious to ask because it seemed like uh, I remember it. You know, previously in our previous conversations, you did mention that there there was. I think you're getting, and you, I think we're we're getting to this topic too. You you did say mention that um, there is like there is sort of a lack of critical thinking uh, education, or like if critical thinking as implemented into into uh, the curriculum at some level of of education in, in Thailand. Probably not. I, I forget at what level it was. Probably not the college level, but maybe maybe even at the secondary secondary level. Um, I, I I'm not sure um, what level was that. I guess oh. um, I'm trying to recall. Uh, excuse me if I if I can't think of it immediately. Um, well, so critical thinking is, is something that's not really commonly taught in what you could say in Thai schools. That doesn't mean just schools in Thailand, but that means um, government schools, right? Mainly, but that excludes Montessori schools, um, other less conventional. Um, forms of schooling and international schools. So in, in international schools, they want to promote a little bit more of this. And um, of course, you have to pay quite a bit more in order to attend. So um, these children have the privilege of learning critical thinking, learning English in, in a very, um, uh, not just a more hospitable environment for that because it's encouraged uh, and, and it's supported very strongly even be between the teachers, even if they're Thai teachers, they'll practice English, they have a very positive attitude towards English. And, and so all of these things help those, those type of students. But for the common student outside of that, they, they just, um, I, I don't know how much of it is really being taught. It, it, it's just, um, we have um, cultural studies, we have other areas such as science, and even um, now we have, um, you know, programming courses, robotics, AI, but mainly for those more privileged schools, uh, international schools, and more uh, affluent um, government schools. So, um, again, I'm sorry, it's, it's quite hard for me to say. Uh, critical thinking is, is sort of lacking. Even uh, I had a discussion re very recently with a, a friend from a, a different school, and he said, this was at a high school now, they had a meeting about, okay, how do we, how do we promote critical thinking? I mean, we need to have this outside of, um, you know, our, our social, um, uh, social science courses. Let's try to integrate this into other classes. And, and so one Westerner, she, she suggested and kind of half questioning asked, oh, um, why, not, uh, why not cooking? Because that's critical, isn't it? Right? And, and so, this, this gives you also a sense of like how much people understand what critical thinking is, even from the West. This was a Westerner now. <laughs> so it's um, critical thinking, I, arguably it isn't as, as strong as it could be in even um, certain university settings, because it's like, well, okay, we, we understand this, this type of thinking. We could go one step above or one layer deeper and that's about it. And you don't have to be a, a great deep thinker in order to, to do that. Sure, that's fine. But I feel that in order to be responsible citizens and really exercise a, a form of valid democracy, we need to engage in um, more sub substantive critical thinking in order to examine these different issues, draw different associations, and really draw distinctions between different things as opposed to this sort of like 
bipolar, this sort of um, black and white view of the world. And um, that's kind of what it's uh, come down to over here because it's like, well, many, many things are so concrete. It's like, uh, okay, you, it either is or it isn't, or even um, <laughs> stretching a little bit further out, looking at the political issues going on right now um, with the protests, right? It's this sort of like, oh, yellow shirt, red shirt, you're, you're either pro-military um, or pro uh, or, or even anti-whatever. It, it just like, uh, this, this sort of thing is upsetting for me, again, I think there there could be a much better way of, of approaching this. People are just seems to like, okay, I feel so adamant about something and then I believe this to be true. And um, the sort of so-called evidence suggests that. And so it must be true because all my friends and relatives also believe it. And so now we have a problem. First off, going back to what I said about cultural values, right? This is in jeopardy right now with the protests as they are. I'm sorry if I'm jumping ahead now. <laughs> Is it okay if we touch upon this issue? Yeah, but before you go, I just want to say yeah. I have to go. I have a class again oh. at 8.15, so I have to get ready. I just want to say, Pete, it's so nice to meet you, and it was, it was lovely to be able to hear your perspectives. And Carlos and, and Takashi, I didn't know that this was going to happen, but I appreciate the space, and, and I'm going to be on more often, so I'm going to catch up with you all soon. But uh, thank you for letting me be here. And then audience members, I'm going to check out. But um, Pete, my, my blessings to you. Keep healthy out there. And uh, I'll, I'm going to sign out. Pleasure to meet you, Daniel. All right, you too. Yeah. Well, good See you all. <laughs> See Thanks. You. Actually, Pete, um, if, I could, if I could ask another question, but it's, but it's related to this because um, mm -hmm. um, I, I feel like I wonder, I wonder how much you, th you might how, I wonder what your thoughts are on the possible relationship between like the, you know, the, the way that critical thinking is taught or not taught. And maybe, um, maybe these, these sort of, um, the, uh, this developing dynamic that you've mentioned before between uh, uh, teachers and students and their parents, right? Um, right. You, I remember you mentioning this, like this parallel that we noticed with something we see in the U.S. too, right? Um, what What is it? Sort of this this um, this newer culture emerging of the teacher catering more actually to to sort of the wrong needs of the student, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, well, let's see. Um, may I mention one thing before I address that? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, a, a thought just occurred. Um, well, I, I think an, another reason why this, uh, there's a lack of critical thinking is because of the strong emphasis on Buddhism in this country. That doesn't mean that Buddhism is bad or it necessarily lacks, but people's understanding of Buddhism and practice of Buddhism has really limited their, their capacity to think in these terms. I met, uh, I even met, uh, I shouldn't say this, but I, I met an individual, let's say, who uh, had a PhD in religious studies and, uh, or um, he seemed to think that, uh, you know, much of, of the information that's available in science, within psychology, within um, the study of uh, things that, that seem to go beyond what seems to be um, the basic reality, right? those are things that are, are not relevant and that they're just like 
far secondary and even distracting towards uh, having uh, this sort of understanding of so-called reality. And so I had a long discussion with him and I, I'm not sure if it really led anywhere, but we both expressed our sort of views on this. And he was still um, very much in his mindset that, well, you know, critical thinking essentially is, is um, kind of like a brain exercise and it's just, okay, that's great. You can do it. You could flex your brain muscles and, and do that, but it might make you crazy. That was a sort of a suggestion that you, you know so much and you look at it and there's too much to examine and then you become overwhelmed and don't really know what's real. And I, I could kind of see the validity of that in that one might um, lose touch with uh, a sense of culture, but it also assists with that as well. You know, I, I've, I've made my argument about that. So, um, not just Buddhism, but let's just say that the, the influence of Buddhism in cultural uh, thinking and expression uh, has inhibited uh, the ability to think in, in um, critical terms. They may become overly critical about others, right? Or, or emphasize math as a, or, or engineering as a critical field. But when it comes to the actual critical thinking, it's, uh, it's like, oh, well, it's, um, it's a bit less, lesser valued than English, I would say, generally that is, um, which also relates to what you're asking now about the, the parent, um, student, and teacher interaction, what their expectations are, right? Oh my goodness, wh where do I even begin? With, uh, with this rising of the middle class and, you know, economy is, um, you know, people tend to see it as, oh yeah, well, it's, it's, uh, it's not in a good state. They blame it on um, different entities. And I think that's really unfair. They don't really have data. They, it's just hearsay at this point. And of course, anything could be better, but how do we make it work? What can we do together instead of complaining? Um, so that's what it's come down to, even within education system. There's a lot of pressure for universities to, to um, provide certain things to students, um, which they deserve, but sometimes it, 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 it's a bit much, right? Uh, another individual I, I spoke to, uh, he mentioned that he was able to become a substitute teacher. He's retired now, have you? And at a very prestigious school, extremely prestigious. Um, not only do, do the parents have to have extreme wealth, but they have to have some sort of um, deep connection, right? And so he was substituting for a science course and the students were just like playing on their, on their um, iPhones and, and just messing around and not really respecting his authority at all. Uh, being a, a man of age 65 or 70 years old, they, they, they just ignored him and they, they wouldn't even listen. And, and so th this is also another one of those many different indicators out there which shows that, well, you know, this loss of culture, this loss of um, this, this value in having har even harmony right, and, and, and respecting elders and so forth. So, okay, now we can really turn towards the parents. The parents have taught them kind of this, like, that's okay, you're just here, we paid, you'll have a good job, you'll have enough money to live comfortably, just sit this out and yeah, and that's it. But what about the, the sort of jungle side of things? I wouldn't even call it jungle that, let's just call it um, values, right? we could have values even as uh, sophisticated worldly individuals um, as so-called fancy Asians or fancy Hispanics or fancy whatever, 
right? We need to have that. The, the teachers are under this pressure to, okay, trying not to offend students, try not to do anything that will receive any form of criticism or um, seeming, seemingly unfairness or anything of that sort. And they have to sort of bend over left and right, and it it's becomes a stressful thing. Not for myself. Uh, I'm just saying what, what I've been hearing from other teachers from different places, not necessarily from the university I'm teaching at. And, uh, oh, gosh, let me give a, a very concrete example here. So, for example, if, if a teacher has international students who are studying from abroad, they should have their midterm examinations delivered via online, right? And then the students, regardless of whether they're Thai, Chinese, or anything else, they should have it on campus, right? Accordingly. But there was a, a let's say there's a complaint by students that, oh, it's not fair, teacher, can, can we have it online as well? And then the teacher would respond, well, <laughs> I'm sorry, we cannot, right? For good reason. And so, after the exam, if students have low scores because they took it on campus, uh, not because of that, that's what they're attributing it to. It's really because they probably didn't study well, they didn't understand, they didn't ask questions, they didn't critically think or examine anything that they've learned. And so, of course, they, they would receive the score that they've earned, right? But um, what's, what's interesting here about Thailand is that students, they generally attribute their success to their teachers. Whereas probably in the West, it's more like, okay, personal success. I did well, I studied well, that individualistic mentality, right? So we could see the upside and the downside of, um, uh, well, at least here in Thailand, that, well, if we attribute to the instructor, that could be good if you do well, but if you don't do well, that doesn't suggest that the teacher didn't, didn't teach you well, right? It comes down to individual responsibility and, uh, by having all these privileges and just like, oh, it's okay, you can do whatever you want. Um, students just feel like, oh, well, you know, we could try 25%. We could apply ourselves just a little bit or just do what's, what's needed uh, on, on the surface, but not actually invest ourselves in our education and critically engage in, in the material. Uh, and so this has raised many problems for educators here. They would Every semester for every school I know of, they would the department would receive different complaints by uh, both parents and students alike about just really trivial things, right? Similar to the example I provided. And, um, you know, it, it's just like, well, most of the time the department could manage it. And other times it may be that they just fold under pressure in order to please the parents, in order to maintain student attendance and so forth. And that's, that's not a very good um, way to operate, I don't think. They, they just, it, it's at the cost of the student as well as the quality of education as well. So I, I would really like to bring this to people's awareness so that if you decide to become an educator here, um, please try not to uh, overly advocate for substantive change overnight, okay? Because you're gonna face a lot of resistance much resistance and, and it's almost like a futile effort. Um, and you could only influence in, in certain ways and when uh, allowed to. If you do anything that seems assertive, it may be perceived as um, aggressive. This is what I've, uh, I've, I've heard from other teachers and, and that's part of Thai culture. So it, it creates 
further dilemma and how do we approach this? How do we form a better education system? How do we engage students in dialogue and instead of coming to the teacher asking the same question that was already addressed or something which they could problem solve by themselves, right? It's, it's all comes down to the teacher. And if we were looking at um, the teaching teachers as a profession, one generation ago, it was highly respected. Now it's just like, okay, we're just like in the United States, we could say that we become sort of glorified babysitters, even at the university setting. Oh, Takashi can go. Oh, no, uh, I, I definitely can relate to what you're saying, because uh, that's also true in, uh, I can only speak for secondary schools. I, I don't know how it is in the university in the U.S., but there's been a lot of cases where uh, teachers and the, like the principals are advocating for like those students to just let them pass, even if they don't deserve to pass, right? Uh, there's even controversy, and this has happened like more than like a few dozen schools around the U.S., where students are just letting them, uh, teachers and like the, you know, principals are letting the students just pass and graduate. And if you actually look, dig into their records, they have like so many absences, they have so many like truancies and tardies. And like by the time they get to college, they're not ready and they end up like stop going to college, you know, because they're, they're not ready. And it's, it's, it's been an issue because there's been a rise of like good grades in, you know, schools, but the reality is uh, most of the students are not ready or capable of like handling um, like challenging academic, um, you know, tasks while they're in the university. So it's, it's, I feel like it's a phenomenon that's happening here. And I don't know if it's really happening globally. Maybe it's like a shift in the culture, like you mentioned with like the younger generation and the parents and the students maybe feeling a little bit more entitled to like, you know, have a say. Um, which I see is a good, good tool for advocacy and like, you know, good, good skill. But at the same time, like, where do we draw the line of, you know, mm. Hey, this is enough. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Gosh. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if students are, are allowed to pass classes. I, I highly doubt that because based on personal experience, teaching different subjects here, that was not the case at all. They were very strict about it. Um, but the, oh gosh, Daniel had this question. Um, and so it relates to what he was asking about um, the students actually, let's say the grading criteria is like 90% for an A, right? In the United States, uh, depending on what program you're in. But in Thailand, in most programs, it, it would actually be less than that. Uh, it could be 75, oh, not 75, sorry. It could be like an 80, right? Or uh, having um, a 65 to pass the class, right? Which would not pass in, in the States. <laughs> and so they not only lowered the bar, but um, also this, the level of self-discipline is also lacking. They, they weren't, I don't know how much they were taught that by their parents or developed that as high school students, much less even as universities um, succeeding, uh, progressing from freshman into senior year. Um, some students even have to take courses over and over again. Uh, and I saw that students had to take English a number of times, maybe an average or of one or two semesters before they could pass. But there were others as well who, who took actually a year or even more to, to complete their program or they're still in the process of, of studying. And so I don't think it falls down in, in just the one subject of, of teaching. But uh, it's, yeah, it shows that, yes, the, the system has uh, has these sort of guidelines to go by. We, we cannot 
be overly permissive, but they will take suggestions by parents and like, okay, well, we'll, we'll either um, penalize this teacher, we'll, we'll force them to change a certain way or her to do something differently, or even outright get rid of them because using this as excuse, right? Even if they received good, uh, they have a good reputation, they've um, performed very well, they, they have um, very, uh, well, overall good portfolio. It's still like, well, there's too many complaints against that teacher. The teacher was a, a, a Westerner and she was overly aggressive and students didn't like that. And so you, you could see where this, this might head, right? Hopefully the administrators are, are a little bit more competent and they, they could um, recognize, well, maybe parents are just full of it sometimes and other times they may have a valid case which uh, permits further investigation as opposed to just getting rid of somebody or penalizing them for it. So. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna mention, cause uh, just, just to, uh, what was I, hold on, <laughs> let me, let me, let me think of the words for this. Because, uh, well, for, well, first of all, I thought going back to something earlier you said, I thought your, I thought your comment about the influence of Buddhism on the, on the, uh, how would you say, prevention of <laughs> critical thinking i thought i thought that was very interesting because like i i'm thinking back to i'm thinking back to like when i took a world religions class and i learned about a little bit like about basic buddhism and one of the things that you learn about buddhism is you learn about like these exercises that certain buddhist groups do where they give you a like a puzzle like a like a thought like a thought experiment right you're presented with this thought experiment and it's it's something nonsensical and mm -hmm. you're supposed to like figure it out. Well, they, you're asked to figure it out. You're not supposed to, but you're just asked to. And it's just something, usually it's something so ridiculous. Uh, like uh, there was uh, that, that like you're supposed to arrive at the conclusion that, um, well, these, these things, like you can think about these as much as you want. Right. But ultimately like, the re the right answer is that these are just meaningless. These are just meaningless <laughs> exercises. These are just, um, you know, using your mind. These are just examples of your mind trying to, trying to, trying to, um, systematize or systematize, I guess, systematize or to kind of develop like a model of something, uh, an explanation of something that really just doesn't have an explanation. Right. And that's right. really the, that's the conclusion you're supposed to arrive at from these exercises an example of one of these uh is uh so there's there's one that i remember learning about which is like the like the thought experiment or this this um this kind of puzzle which is that um uh a a dog a a dog how does it go a dog pities its master and you're supposed to like figure out why, why, why would a dog pity its master? And then eventually you, you just, you, you, you think about this so much that you get tired of it. And then the, and then the monk tells you, okay, the, you weren't supposed to think about it too much. It's really a meaningless thing. Life is meaning, <laughs> life is meaningless. Stop comparing yourself to other people, right? You're just a wave in this like big, like universal vibration. Okay. So like uh, some stuff like that, right? Like, you know, real deep Buddhist, thought i guess i don't know i'm not sure but it yeah. that that what your your assessment of that really like reminded me of that though because those types of exercises are sort of you know they're they directly 
they do seem to directly um, challenge the idea of critical thinking, right? Like mm -hmm. on one end, critical thinking is about trying to like understand something very deeply with the assumption that there will be, there is, a, there is an answer, right? There is an answer to like this thing we're trying to understand. There's a way to understand it, right? And so- Very astute observation. Right, right. The, Association. Uh, right, there's, you're supposed, there is a way to understand it and the goal is to arrive at that. And then the Buddhist perspective is actually no, like not everything has an explanation. Sometimes too much, you know, your efforts can be wasted on things. And when you waste your efforts on things like this, it's very, it's actually bad for your health, mental health. Right. <laughs> so like, and I know, and you know, from my own readings about like, just like general, I guess, world culture, like, yeah, like Thailand is like a very Buddhist country. Um, a lot of Southeast Asian countries are like, they, they have a lot, they're, they have in particular more Buddhist influence than, than from, you know, Confucianism even. Uh, Sri Lanka is like, you know, like probably the best example of like a very Buddhist country too. So like that's, that's what it reminded me of. So I thought, I thought that was a very neat explanation of that, that I'd never, that I would have never arrived at on my own. Um, I, I'm, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. It's all right, Matt. Go ahead. Oh yeah. Well, I'm going to, and then I have something else to say, but you, if you wanted to respond to that. Sure. Uh, well, uh, it, it's very interesting that, that you bring this up and, you know, I, we could look at it a number of ways too. These sort of uh, um, non-being exercises—I I forgot the, the term for it. Cohen, I think they are sort of—they're um, not necessarily riddles to be solved, but just to uh, allow oneself to rid oneself of this sort of attachment to ideology, to the concreteness of the world, or even uh, labeling things in a systematic manner. It's just like, okay, things are things, and that is it. And, and so that makes, well, that's obvious. Uh, and, and so why should we think about that? It's because we forget about, in Buddhism, I'm not, I don't claim to be a Buddhist uh, anyway. Um, it may be that they, they see like, okay, we don't have this attachment any longer. We have this sort of riddle about why does it pity its master, the dog that is, right? And, and so, oh, it could be this, it could be that, or it could be a hundred million different things, right? And so we don't know. And it might simply be that we're okay with not knowing or not being able to control or predict and simply allowing ourselves to live in the present moment with uh, the simplicity of things where um, this type of thinking, if we're to critically examine something, right, even in a valid manner would be another form of distraction. It's just like, okay, we, we have all this and our, it, it, it drives our minds, um, it, for lack of a better word, kind of like they become wild horses let loose, right? And and so we're no longer at peace. We're not at a sort of um, sort of a equilibrium. It's more of like we're distracted by the world. We're distracted by something as opposed to uh, living in the present moment with this type of uh, mindfulness, right? So that becomes a sort of a implicit threat, I think, to uh, modern day Buddhists. But I think most modern day Buddhists um, don't know much about what you've just what we've just discussed. Um, it's rather more ritualistic and it's more peacekeeping. Uh, and it, when it comes to critical thinking, I, I think it really that they they're they're fine with the way that things are. Not so much that they're just trying to live in the present moment, but they're just fine with how things are, and they don't want a, a sort of challenge which might even threaten their way of living their daily existence or even how they perceive something. 
So it's, it then becomes kind of like critical thinking equates to potential dangerous thoughts, right? <laughs> or, or that, well, uh, for, for those who are less educated, it's just like a, another brain exercise or a way for someone to prove how smart they are or whatnot. But uh, obviously you and I, we, we know that there is much more potential with, with critical thinking. So you, you had another thought. Yeah, no, yeah, it's pretty cool. Cause I, I think, yeah, like the, the older I get too, the more I notice that there is like, there is definitely influence in our day-to-day -day lives from like religion. If like, even if like we, like I don't identify as religious, I'm, I'm an agnostic or whatever, but I did grow up Catholic. A lot of my family, even if, you know, however they identify, they like, we all grew up with Catholicism and stuff. And the older, the older I get, the more I notice how like there are elements of Catholicism that have, that have like shaped my behavior that have shaped my worldview. Right. Like, and that's like something I just have no power over. Right. I can't really change my past or anything. Right. You know, I grew up with like a priest going to church, at least when I was little and having the priest like instruct me like in Catholicism, like I'd go to Catholic school. And so, and there, so there's stuff like that. Um, I had a, I had an interesting, I had a, I had an interesting conversation actually with, um, with a friend of mine in China, she converted to Catholicism when she was in college and she moved back to China. And in China, uh, she got interested in saving cats. Uh, she works at a university where there's lots of cats, right? Uh, you know, stray cats. And some of them aren't, they're not taken care of very well. Some of them end up abused. So she's like, where she is like help, trying to help the cats, these abused cats in some way. And she was asking me one time because uh, she was trying to figure out if it was moral to um, to neuter the cats, because uh, that that was a topic this group was talking about. Like, should we neuter these cats, right? Uh, like, they wanted to neuter them to, like, you know, make sure there were no like future suffering cats, right? You know, or just to control the population so that they're easier to take care of. Um, and she was asking me, do you think it's moral to like neuter the cats, right? Because we're not supposed to neuter humans right you know we're not supposed to do that in catholicism we don't do that we don't neuter humans and so like does that logic apply to the cats and i was like no no it doesn't apply uh actually in catholicism humans and cats are extremely different uh where we have very different statuses in the cosmology of, of Catholicism like humans are the masters of the universe basically according to Catholicism I had no like I had never like thought of that before um like that was a very easy answer for me to give to her like like no like cats are different they're animals like they're kind of like in some cosmological hierarchy below humans but above like you know um above non-animate things so it's okay to neuter them. And she talked to another Chinese Catholic who was more, who was more well-versed in you know, the teachings of the religion. And he gave a similar answer too. He, in fact, uh, she told me what he said and it was like, oh yeah. I was like, yeah, that's definitely what a priest would say. That's totally what a Catholic priest would say. Yeah. Um, and so that's just like, that reminded me that Catholicism is sort of ingrained in in like how I think even. And so I can imagine Buddhism similarly kind of affecting, 
maybe even coming into conflict with um, the development of education in in like in Thailand even because I mean I don't know I don't know what how education public public education is modeled in Thailand I can imagine I can only imagine it's it's sort of it's 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 an it's something introduced uh, from the West right it's a it's sort of a it's sort of a Western import uh, unless I'm wrong maybe maybe Thailand had something that was native. Uh, some native form of, of, you know, universities and things like that. But as far as I know, universities are, and like high school, these are very like, these are like Western cultural imports uh, into many other, many other countries. So maybe there's a conflict between that and Buddhism. So that's, that's what your comment made me think of. And I, I just thought it was, yeah, that it reminded me of all of those things. <laughs> Sorry. It's <laughs> all yeah, good. Yeah. Wow, wow. Yeah, yeah. I'm taking all this in. And, um, you know, this is all very thought-provoking. Um, we could go either way with it. Uh, but with all things being fair, I think almost anything could be justified in the name of religion, in the name of even critical thinking, or even just uh, so-called common sense or regular day, everyday thinking, right? People are, they, they have these sort of, um, uh, they, they have a, a certain way of thinking, which is limited. Even us as thinking people, we're also limited based on our previous experiences and, you know, limited knowledge in whichever field. Uh, so it's, it's a little different um, in, I guess, when we look at religion, most religions tend to want to, um, excuse me if, I, if it seems uh, unfair for me to say, I'm not criticizing religion in any way, but it, it may, um, again, going back to what I said earlier about possibly threatening uh, even the religion itself or the, or the establishment of the religion and others within the, the, um, the in-group of the religion. So if you engage in critical thinking, if you are a scientist, even though you're a very Christian scientist, not a, not a uh, what do you call it, not a um, Scientologist, but uh, a real uh, professional scientists who ascribes to Christian ideology and even though um, even within Buddhism there may be certain inconsistencies and things don't really apply and things that seem kind of dogmatic or against things that are within critical thinking and science um, it's just we can learn how to live kind of in both worlds and even yourself having that early influence from um, Catholicism myself included with Christianity and Buddhism um, you know, we can't just say this one's right, that one's wrong, and, and then feel guilty because we did something that was questionable, like neuter a cat, right? It's like, we, within that, within that sort of, uh, I'm trying to say it, within that situation, then we would think, well, obviously we need to neuter the cats. Otherwise, there would be an overpopulation of the cats, which would affect the ecology. And then also it'd be very inconvenient for students at the university to get around and, and so forth. And like, okay, we could justify it and say, we need to neuter the cats. Either that or just ship them off to somewhere else and find different solutions. We need to think about it. Um, and, and with the religious sense, it's like, okay, if you have a strong foundation within the religious ideology, it's not just what, what common people understand it as. They know how to draw the line between uh, humans and other creatures and the treatment of other creatures and, and so forth. So, um, it, yeah, I, I think both religion and science have much to offer, and even in terms of critical thinking, 
but I don't know how much of it is um, being accepted by people, much less being um, uh, sort of uh, uh, provided by those different institutions. And, and even as an uh, influential person, let's say uh, a priest could be a critical thinker, but of course he can't really put too much critical thinking in the ceremony because most people qu can't quite follow it, but he or she could uh, gradually um, have sort of elements of critical thinking within it and, and, and really uh, instill this within the people as well. And I think all, all institutions within our social systems could actually do this as well. Maybe not in such a direct way like in, in teaching, but teaching in, in more implicit ways and through example, through exploring different areas, not necessarily questioning um, the integrity of the religion or, uh, or of like, let's say whether or not something is controversial or as, as a sin or not, right? We could look at everyday experiences and more global issues outside of the, the common um, sort of argument about you know, things we, we bicker about in the United States. And then I, I kind of wanted to, uh, going on to a, a different thing you mentioned. So uh, regarding, regarding uh, these, these, these sort of decaying uh, student-teacher-parent relationships that we see, uh, which you mentioned are, are, are happening in Thailand. Uh, Takashi mentioned, you see that in the U.S. too, and we have sort of this, uh, it's, it's, you know, who knows if it's really like a universal phenomenon yet. Uh, but it's interesting that we see it in, you know, these two very different countries, right? And um, I'm wondering, uh, I'm wondering how much, I'm wondering, because in the U.S. context, I feel like that's due to, um, I, that's due to uh, this, this idea that, that parents and students are, have the, have the privilege of sort of directing teachers in, you know, how to, how to kind of manage the student, right? And, you know, that possibly leading to like the, the decrease in quality in education. Um, I feel like, like, I, and I've, I've mentioned this like previously, right? Like, I feel like this is, this, this is happening at least in the U.S. because of like competition that's occurring between schools, right? And increased the, the need for, for, for schools, for um, ed school administrators, for teachers to sort of to, to cater to students and their parents as if they were customers, right? Considering different products at a, at a store, right? So like you, you have a school marketplace and suddenly the idea now becomes to like to kind of to make money or to like even like protect your, to protect your own salary, like you really do need to, to sort of um you know to kind of butter up the student right to make them to make them happy to be there to make to have them enjoy you know their time at the school right because you're selling them a product and the product has to be like tasty or like good or something you know appealing uh and then you know the the parents are the are the people who are actually you know paying for the school right in some form right and so they kind of they engage in that too right they get to be very selective Right. And they're going. And so in their selectivity, right, their investment is in the student. And so, like, it's really the student that ends up being like catered to in this sort of in this, you know, not non. Uh, well, they're, they're being appealed to, I guess that's the better term. Right. They're being appealed to right in, in, in the non-educational way, actually. 
Um, yeah, I, I was thinking that, and um, so it's sort of, it's sort of a very, like, a, yeah, it's like, it's a marketplace idea that I have of, like, how this is working out. Um, and I wonder, too, like, if, if that's, yeah, like, that's what you think is happening in, in, in Thailand, right? Yeah, I th you've, you've answered this before, but I, I, maybe you can elaborate on it, too. Like, do you oh, think sure. that's what's happening, too? Like, is our schools in Thailand kind of becoming like a marketplace now, right? I think so, especially with uh, so much competition between each of the schools and universities, especially the private institutes, they, they need to rake in as many students as they could and retain as many as they could. But the situation is that uh, uh, supposedly there's less children being born uh, of the generation, so there's lower attendance and um, students are also going to other institutes or even not um, opting out of education altogether for, well, I guess the, for vocational education or to uh, continue their family's business. But in most cases, they would um, choose to continue with their education. Um, from my own experience, I haven't taught at a private university and also knowing someone who taught at another private university and now currently um, teaching at a uh, public university, uh, I, I guess I could extrapolate this and, and say that, well, there's less, less attendance generally within the private sector and there's more, I'm sorry, I use a private sector, right? <laughs> because then now it's become a business after all, right? Well, private educational setting, right? And, and now going to government schools and even the government schools, um, there's some uh, variance between each of them because some, not just with prestige, but also with um, how they operate. It, it might be they're following sort of government, um, not just regulations and guidelines, but they're, they're applying their own way of managing things and they're doing it quite effectively. And this is what's drawing more students to come in for different programs that may not be available at, at other universities or the, the reputation, the public's image of an institution changes and then a new one emerges and then they change their mind about a different one and so forth and every combination you could think of and eventually this affects the the whole business of running education in the country so it's not that government schools are doing better or that the private schools are, are um, you know not doing quite as well but yes to both and 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 vice versa because of, of what's happening. People are, are becoming more um, selective uh, in, in choosing the university they attend or when to attend university. And so I, I, wonder, I wonder how much uh, parental influence has, has played in, in all of this. Uh, are, are the parents really sending their, their children off to America? I, I'm sorry, I don't have data about this or to another country. And instead of remaining in Thailand, um, it's 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 hard to say. Once more, uh, it's it's not a very complex issue, but I think as with many things, it's become over overly complicated by people with all these different social forces and how things have emerged and um, the decline of cultural values. And I'm not a pessimist, but uh, I'm I'm just saying as objectively as I can. These are my observations. These are my experiences, and these are sort of the testimonials of of other educators in the area. Um, and so there is some hope, but uh, we need to be able to apply 
different um, modes of, of thinking and which require critical thinking as well and actually having discussion um, as opposed to having a sort of um, power play between um, different parties. Right? We, this is going back to the sort of uh, jungle side of things, right? With um, uh, the um, sort of favoritism between in-groups, right? There's a word for that in Chinese. I can't think of it offhand. Um, but that's like, okay, if you know someone, then we'll help you out. And if someone's older, you don't challenge their position in any way whatsoever. Um, you don't suggest anything that might point towards their incompetence and, and so forth. And it's like trying to, to walk on glass, right? No one wants to do it. They, they, they think about it, but um, no one really takes action. The only real action that is happening is this, this ridiculous response by certain parents and also with whatever's happening with the protests right now. Uh, I'm not anti nor am I pro protest. I just see it as a social scientist, like, okay, this is uh, sort of inevitable that uh, looking at the factors um, that, yeah, it, this, is, um, this would present itself in this form and then manifest in, in strange and unexpected ways. Uh, and so these two different things are, are tied in together through culture, through technology. And they are also affecting one another, right? For example, with the, the culture, I'm sorry if I'm, I'm, I'm not, I haven't answered your question completely, but with the, um, the protest, right? Students are, are getting this, this idea and I'm not, I'm not just imagining it because um, others have discussed this as well, that it's become part of the, their mentality to, to question authority, to challenge it, to not just, not in a constructive way either, but just to go out and blame even teachers for different things and say, we're not being equal, we're not being fair, but they don't even know what they're saying. They just want it to have things their way. And I think they're, they're misreading what Americans are doing or, or even some Americans doing incorrectly by like, okay, demanding our rights. We want this, we want that. Okay, what have you done to, to really earn it? Or uh, you have the privilege, but you have a responsibility as well. Right? And so it's like something deeply taken for granted, um, this so-called modern form of democracy. And that's what the people want, and, but they don't know what it is. They just think that um, everything falls down onto one or, or two individuals. And then once we're, we've changed them, that everything will change and be better. But th that's rather naive view of, of politics, right? The, the, there'll be other people will always complain about something. And if there was ever any form of democracy, people would be more vocal. Everyday people, non-protesters would just complain about everything and become complacent, uh, complacent about actually doing their work. And um, you know, this has so many repercussions. We don't realize it right now. So with this whole thing about competing um, institutions, well, you know, yeah, so that's, that's there too. But, you know, there's a cognitive dissonance that, that I've um, mentioned earlier about, okay, so many things. So this is why people are so stressed, right? Which school should I go to? This one has a lower reputation. Oh, this one's expensive. This one, la da 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 right? And people as a collective society, they go by um, this whole public perception thing without really critically examining the, whatever that is that they're interested in or even uh, allowing themselves to consider at one point. It's just like, okay, the thought passed my mind. Oh no, it's bad, it's bad. You eliminate it, you, you cut the root off immediately. So to avoid stress, but also 
further perpetuating this sort of downward spiral of making unwise decisions or very uh, being informed by um, very biased or, or limited means and then like, okay, this is all I have to work with. Okay, that's how it is naturally. Going back to the Buddhistic thought, right? Keeping simplicity and also, oh, everything is natural. Everything is sort of bound to be a sort of fatalism. And so I think as a Westerner, like, no, we, we have some free will and some free choice. We could intervene, right? We might not create change overnight, but very subtle and meaningful ways uh, we could influence others and then, okay, we can improve here, here and there. But I, I don't know if, uh, how to even, how, how to even instill this value in others outside of my profession of teaching and trying to put this seed into their minds that, okay, this is our seed of hope. We need to um, not just see things in black and white or blame somebody for it, but okay, as I teach psychology, um, I, I hope they're, they're getting it. <laughs> There's much more to it than that, which requires critical thinking. We can't do without. Yeah, no, thanks for sharing that. Um, kind of going back to what you both have been saying, I know that definitely what Carlos mentioned about the schools in the U.S., uh, like even high schools are becoming like a competition. Just to kind of give an example, like, you know, I used to work at a school in L.A., in Los Angeles and in just that vicinity of like maybe like two or three mile radius, there were like seven or eight other high schools, you know? So it was like a competition and we were like losing enrollment because other schools had uh, like a specialty, like certain schools might have a specialty in engineering or performing arts or, um, you know, like culinary arts or, or just kind of different uh, ways to sell themselves. And it becomes kind of like a, like we are saying, like a market competition, like schools are like becoming businesses, even like the public schools and not just like the charter schools or private schools. And it's, it's kind of interesting how this is becoming. And part of it is like you mentioned, like maybe, you know, the population is not as increasing as much, especially like the younger generation. I mean, there has been a, like a huge drop in teen pregnancy over the past few years. So that's like the, that is like a statistical data that's been proven. Uh, but like there definitely has like been a shift in how the schools are being viewed. You know, it's it like y'all are saying, it's becoming more of a market, like a product and like the students and the parents are the customers. Like certain charter schools, instead of having superintendents, they have CEOs and you know, they make money off of uh, like the attendance uh, based on like the taxes, the state taxes and stuff. And, you know, they get funding through like private donors and different corporations or nonprofits that support them. And yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting how the shift, at least in the, here in the U S it's, it's, I'm starting to see that shift more and more. Like it, it wasn't like what it was when I was going to school. Like I, I, you know, I, I didn't really hear about charter schools as much, but um, yeah, definitely. I, I see that shift. Uh, certainly, the, the same rings true here as well. For example, there's a very well-known uh, four-year institution, uh, bachelor degree, master degree, and doctoral institution, which is not considered a university, but they're doing extremely well. And they've marketed themselves as a sort of the technological college, right? It's not a vocational school by any means. You have to have a very high score in order to get in, and their standards are significantly higher than most other universities. Um, they offer medical programs, uh, different 
computer science and engineering programs. And of course they have social sciences as well. And so this is what they've, uh, they are recognized as. Whereas another university, which I taught at is, uh, oh, the, the prestigious rich kid school, but it's, it may not be uh, considered quite as rigorous as maybe the, the top three universities, but still uh, overall quite a good university. Sure, it's, it's, an, it's necessary that they take these actions, but when it comes down to the management of funds, certain aspects of it, that is like, okay, if we're, we're willing to make, uh, cut the cutting corners, or if we're willing to sacrifice this and that, even at the behest of teachers and students alike, then um, that, that creates a problem, which uh, universities don't see. They, they look at outcome numbers, numbers, and how do we measure learning? Okay, students, uh, attendance, students passing, and if we were able to justify even students not passing by having uh, more student attendance, okay, we have funding for, for this and that in order to further promote and provide for the different programs. It's, uh, yeah, it becomes this whole, whole sort of push-pull struggle, and which is inconsistent with uh, earlier models of education where we would, um, you know, have the, not only the values, which are also extremely essential right? It could be the backbone of the university, but also, wow, why have we conglomerated education like this? Is it because there's so much more competition here and there? What can we do to stand up more or increase or improve our value? I think the last question um, is maybe asked at a um, very uh, surface level and maybe not asked enough by most universities. How do we do that instead of this whole budgetary thing, right? like okay, the quality of our programs, the quality of our teachers, and how we even respond to any sort of um, discrepancy or adversity within. So, I mean, again, uh, I, I'm, I'm a broken record, right? How do we do this? Critical engagement, right? <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't count, come down directly to numbers. Those are indicators which might be misrepresented or exaggerated for that matter. <laughs>